listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We're going to continue walking our time through the book of Luke. Last week we saw where Jesus sent out the 72 to go and proclaim the kingdom is near to all the different towns that he's about to go as he set his sights. It's kind of the turning point of the book of Luke. He has set his sights on Jerusalem and now he's sending out people ahead of him saying, hey, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. Jesus is here. And, and last week we kind of looked at this story from the, the Tangji Fellowship where back in 1994 they sent out 72 missionaries. Many young, they gave up, you know, money for marriage. They gave up the very little money they have for food. And they sent these missionaries out to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we saw that they only gave them enough money to, to go one way. And so in order for them to be able to actually get back, they actually have to establish, find favor, and God has to work in um, through other people in order for them to get back. And that's kind of the, the little stories we, we set it up. But I just want to follow up with that same story that when they all returned, there was some testimonies given. And I just found one of them that was pretty pertinent as, as far as, as we continue to look through what, what God is, is going to show us today in his, in his word. And here's, here's this testimony. It was a testimony meeting We had given the missionaries one-way tickets. We told them, you can't fail. If you're not successful in planting churches, nobody will give you money to come back. When we heard their testimonies, everybody was crying. They wore out their shoes. They were rejected by people. They lived in ditches and in forests. Some of them lived with pigs. In a meeting, God showed his love to us. We were joyful because they all came back alive. They were joyful because they all came back alive. They were also joyful because God had blessed their ministry. That God did exactly what he said he would do. 22 missionaries went out with almost nothing except the gospel and the grace of God. They established new house churches all over China. And get this, including some congregations that now number in the hundreds of thousands today. The missionaries saw the gospel working with power and they returned rejoicing. And in fact, as we turn and, and look further into our story, as we were walking through Luke, we see this same thing happening. Those that Jesus sent out returned, experiencing the same emotion great joy. We see this in Luke 10, 17, where we pick up our story. In 72, returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now remember that Jesus didn't specifically tell them to go, go out. I'm giving you the power to go cast out demons. He said, go and proclaim the gospel. Tell them that the kingdom of God is near. But they were taken back that actually in his name, don't lose that fact, in his name, that even the demons... We're subject to them, not really them, but Jesus who partnered with them on this mission, just like he partners with each of us, because we've all been called 
to be on mission. Not necessarily missionaries. Missionaries are ones that break barriers. They go to other places. But we are all on mission as disciples of Christ who are to make disciples. Now, Jesus is about to do only what Jesus can do. And, and we sometimes stumble and try to do this, but only Jesus can do this. He's going to look into the disciples' hearts and he's going to correct something. They come back with this joy. Even the demons are subject to us. But Jesus has a corrective message for them. And it's one that we need to hear also. Maybe a little bit differently, but maybe you are rejoicing in in things that you've been doing and you're seeing what God's doing in in your life as you reach out to be missionaries. But, But check, make sure that your joy is not in what is happening, but your joy is what rooted in what Jesus is about to tell us it needs to be rooted in. So he's doing only what Jesus can do. He looks into the heart as he's going about to look into our hearts today. But before we see this correction, I do want to make an implication about this idea of in your name. We do things in Jesus' name. We pray and we end usually in his name. It's his power that we are asking things to happen. We saw these words earlier when John had the question about the person who was casting out demons. Remember? Transfiguration and then, and then, um, they couldn't cast out that demon and the father was pleading with him and all these things were happening. And John was like, well, we saw this dude out there in, in, in somewhere in our travels and he was casting out demons in your name. And should we stop him or what should we have done? Because he's not one of us. So he's already differentiating. That, well, wait a minute, you're saying, John, that just because Jesus chose you as a disciple, that that's why that you should be casting out demons, but this person is doing it in my name, should not be doing it. So he's, he was correcting him then, and Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. In many ways, this, this implication about doing things in Jesus' name is the, is the same thing that we talked about last week. It's the very same implication God has called you to be on mission and has given you power to complete the mission. He has called you to be on mission. God has called you to be his partner in one of the greatest adventures known to man. In fact, all the adventures that we read about, that we watch on TV, that we see on the big screen, in some form or fashion, every one of those adventures mimic the great adventure that God has called us all on. And that is to be advocates, that is to be ambassadors, that is to be agents of reconciliation as he brings his kingdom forward. Let me me just put it to you another way. Here's the principle, and, and I know I said this last week. God never calls you in to bless you without sending you out to others. The blessing that he gives you, the blessing that he gives you, and namely the salvation that he gives you, is in order to go and bless others. He doesn't call you in without sending you out. He doesn't bless you without sending you out. He never blesses you, but that you might be a blessing to others. He never says, come in without saying, go. Come in, Abraham, he says in Genesis 12. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will be your portion and your exceeding great reward. Then get out. Go. Go. And we don't go in our own strength, brothers and sisters. We don't. 
We will fail. We will stumble. We will get discouraged. We'll get frustrated. We don't go in our own strength. We go in His name. In fact, the more we are aware of our weakness, the more aware His strength we become. We must depend on God. He is the Lord of the harvest. He will make things happen. I said this last week also. Think of it this way. If dependence is the objective, then weakness is the advantage. If dependence is the objective, if your objective is not to go and, oh, i got to change this person's heart, i got to save this person, but it is just to be dependent on what God has for you to do this day, then that is by far the advantage. Not how smart you are, not how well you can argue this or that, but it's really, am I just yielded to the Lord? Am I going in His name or am I going in Joe's name? Come up and do this once in a while, and you'll understand this dynamic of going in somebody else's name. And I know many of you have do it, and I know many of you do it in your workplace, and many of you do it at home as you're correcting and loving your children. I know many of you do it in your neighborhoods as you're trying to reach those that are lost. But we do it as the objective of being dependent on Him, and that is the advantage. That is the advantage. This is what the disciples were reporting back. Hey, we went to tell everyone that the kingdom is coming near. Meaning Jesus is coming to your town. The kingdom is coming near. But what they were rejoicing in was the demons listening to them. At this point, Jesus looks into their hearts. And ours as well. And and has a concern. He's not being a killjoy. He's not trying to kill their joy. He's not trying to, to just kill the situation. He's trying to correct them and give them a greater joy. He's trying to correct them and showing them, this is what your heart is doing. Let me show you where your heart needs to rest so that you can have greater joy. How many of us need a greater joy? But sometimes, this is how the Bible works, this is how Jesus works, this is how God works. Sometimes he has to deflate our balloon a little bit. He sticks a little pinhole in there and it goes down a little bit. So that we can see the greater joy. That he can correct us, that he can put us, you know, we're, we're just skewing off the path a little bit. And he bumps us back on to the path. And sometimes he has to deflate us a bit in order that we might see the greater joy. Because sometimes the only way we're ever going to find true joy is for him to deflate our false joy. See, there's things right now that every one of us, including Joe, we are getting great joy in. There's things that we're hanging our hat on that we're having great joy in that are going to be gone tomorrow. And he's saying, no, don't rest in that joy. There's a greater joy, one that is immovable, one that we sang about already today. There is a greater joy to be had. Don't live for these false joys. We see this in the Bible. We see how how God sometimes just kind of deflates us a little bit in order to get our attention so that he can use us and also so that we can experience greater joy. When Jacob met with God, he wrestled with him and was changed. He wrestled with him all night. He became a greater man. And he always limped after that, too. He had to be wounded before he could be awakened. 
He had to be wounded before he could be awakened to this greater joy, to what God's plan is, what God's purpose is. Just realize right now, if God seems to be deflating you, there seems to be a big needle coming into your life and all the air is going out of the bubble, sometimes the only way we can give you the positive is by doing the negative. He brings you down a little bit, he gets your attention, you know. Kind of like whenever you pull somebody close to you, especially a little child, would you just pay attention to me? Just give me 30 seconds. I'm telling you, if if you listen to me, there's greater joy. And sometimes God just has to kind of get us by the the collar. It's like, would you please just listen to me? I have greater joy for you. I have greater joy for you. That's what he's doing with these disciples. Leading them to greater joy. So what does Jesus say? What is this greater joy that he's trying to promote? What is this greater joy that he's talking about? We pick up in verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice in this, but rejoice in this. Jesus says, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. Now, we can't lose the fact when Jesus says that he saw Satan fall from heaven, that Jesus was there. Like, he didn't start at the virgin birth. He's been and always been and always will be. He was there when Satan fell. In, in our Bibles, that was obviously some, you know, Genesis 1, right? Genesis 3, we see Satan come on the scene. So before then, he saw Satan fell. But he also is thinking, and I think he's saying, and, and, and I wanted to make sure I found plenty of people to agree with me. He's also saying, I've seen this act before. Satan fell from heaven because of his pride. He fell from heaven because of his pride. Jesus is saying, like, I've seen this before, guys. You are rejoicing in what you could do. But I want you to rejoice in what I have done. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's good wisdom. Rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you. Here's what he's saying. To some degree, a a great big part of our problem is not our sorrows. But it's that we rejoice too much in peripheral things instead of essential things. We rejoice in peripheral things instead of essential things. We rejoice too much in superficial things instead of substantial things. We rejoice too much in temporal things instead of eternal things. We rejoice too much in secondary things instead of primary things. If you stop and think about it, why is our spiritual life like a roller coaster? It seems like it's up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. I mean, I know I can testify to that, and, and I know many of you can testify to that because you've testified that to me. It's just like being on a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. Maybe the reason why we fluctuate is we are rejoicing too much in the wrong things. Not in bad things, but the wrong things. 
Jesus says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So you cannot take credit for that truth. Your name's written in heaven. We can't take credit for that truth. We will see why at the end, but we can't. We can't do that. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you are rejoicing in your achievements. That's what we're doing. That's what these disciples are doing. You're rejoicing in these achievements, and sometimes these are the peripheral things that that we rejoice in and that we build our identity in and that we will see that we're building our name in. See, and they fluctuate. They go up and down just like a roller coaster. And one day you're, really, you're doing really good at the thing that you've created for your identity and who your name is. We're doing real good at that. And then one day we're not. And see, if that's what we're rejoicing in, if that's what we're trusting in, then it's nothing but an up and down roller coaster. Because none of us who have formed our identity or made a name for ourselves in any other way besides what Christ has said, we can't keep that going. And we falter and we fail and it's up and down roller coaster. He says, you're rejoicing in your achievements. You're rejoicing in your performance. You're rejoicing in your success. You're rejoicing in your talents to give you a name. You're trying to deal with that sense of namelessness we're all born with. We are all trying from very little, very little. We're all trying to figure out what is our purpose? Why are we here? Who am I? What am I to do? But God's given us who we are. We wonder, how do I know I'm significant? I know that maybe you don't ask yourself that question, just like I just asked it. But spend some time with me, and I'll show you how we're living that out. How do I know I'm significant? We're, we're trying to answer that question all the time. In fact, I would imagine that for some of you, how you dressed to come here today, you were answering that question. How am I significant? What you decided to do this weekend or what you'll decide to do next week, you're answering that question. How am I significant? How do I know I'm not just a pebble of sand on the beach? How do I know I'm, I'm somebody? How do I know that? How do I know there's any significance to me at all? We're all born with that sense of namelessness. See, the 72 that Jesus sent out would not be found on any of the top influencers of the day's list. They're just normal, everyday people who were living their lives, who had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus called them and then sent them out, not in their own power, but in his power. That describes everybody in this room. Everybody in this room. In some cases, they were probably the least likely to be doing this great work for the Lord. But Jesus is saying, look, brother and sister, you don't define yourself by your achievements, your performance, or your success. That is not how you're defined. That is not how your name, how you get your name. We are all raised with this sense of namelessness. And Jesus says, how are you going to get a name? How are you going to know who you are? How are you going to ensure ensure that you're somebody special? How are you going 
to have value and worth? Are you looking to your successes? Are you looking to your achievements? Are you looking to your talents? Jesus says, stop it. I've seen this happen. Jesus is not saying that you should not be happy about the gifts that God has given you. I'm, I'm grateful for everybody that was playing today and, and all the many of you that come up and play your instruments, the gifts God's given you. The, the many gifts that he's given this church, those that teach and those who um, can rightly divide the word and, and, and the mountains of gifts is just represented in, in our church. Yes, we should be happy for that, but we cannot define ourselves by that. He's saying that this is not how you should get your name, your identity. Because if you do, it'll puff you up, which leads to pride. And I saw Satan fall from heaven, is what Jesus is saying. And when those are taken away, and many times that happens, these things that we build our life or name under, they've, they're taken away either by life in a fallen world or God getting our attention, what happens is you are left nameless now. You're left in despair and hopelessness. Let me just try to bring it home and, and show you how this works. And I'm just going to use me as an example because I certainly don't want to use anybody here as an example. So let me just show you how this plays out in Joe's life. So what if your name, what if your identity was dependable and trustworthy? What if that's what you set up as who you are? Now, we have many things that we do this with, right? There are many things. There's lists that Joe uses. There's lists that you uses that you use in the same way. So if my name is dependable and trustworthy, if this is how Joe gets his name, if this is how Joe forms his identity, that this is who I am at the core, instead of trusting in who Christ says I am, if this is where I get my identity, and this is, I'm sharing this is truth. This is something I've worked through through how people change. If this is, if this is where I get my identity, then anytime I forget something, See how this is going to work? Watch how this works. Anytime I forget something, I fail to accomplish what I said would do, even though it might have been unreasonable to say I would do it. Anytime I fail in this arena, I am crushed. And when you are crushed from the weight of going against your identity, what tends to happen is the flesh takes over and you sin all over the place. Do you see how that works? Do you see how if you root who you are, how you got your, the name, the, when I say the name identity, use them interchangeably. This is who I am. This is how I get significance. Whenever you root it in something just as simple as that that I just shared with you, that, hey, I'm a dependable person. Well, sometimes life happens and, and you fall through because I'm just like you, a sinner saved by grace and still working through my sanctification. So I'm not going to do everything perfectly. But if that's where my identity is rooted in, then every time I fail in this arena, every time I fail at that, then, then I'm up here and I'm doing great because I get my identity there. But when I fail, I'm tra crashing down. Oh, I'm miserable. And then whenever you're crashing down, what do you do? You run to the things of this world to numb what you're experiencing. 
That's what's happening to all of us. And you can say, you're like, oh, that's, that's not me. Well, you're just fooling yourself. It is absolutely you. It's absolutely every fallen person on this planet. That's what's going on in their life. When we fail to match, to live up to our identity, then we are crushed. And we got to find some way to numb it. We got to find some way to numb it. Jesus says, no, Joe. (laughs) You don't get your name from your accomplishments. There's a greater joy to be found than following through with being dependable and trustworthy. There is a greater joy. You know the joy whenever, whenever, whatever you're holding your identity is and it's matched, like, okay, someone said, Joe's a trustworthy person. Ah, good, wonderful, Joe. Well, there's a greater joy than that joy that you found right in that moment. And that joy is found is, is whenever I give you your name, when I give you your identity, when I give you and say who you are, because that can't change no matter what anybody says and no matter what anybody does to you. That cannot change. There is a greater joy to be found than following through. And that joy is to be found in him. It's fulfilling your name that, that you have made. It's, it's fulfilling what Christ has done. And the thing is, is we receive that. We receive it. Jesus says, no, Joe. He says to you, Saint, rejoice not in your accomplishments. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. What does that mean? Oh, there's a really cool thing. And thank you, D.A. Carson. It means God has already written your name, brothers and sisters. You're not out there writing your name, defining your identity with your actions and with your talents and whatever else you might find your identity in. Your name is already written. If you're a Christian, your name is already written down. God is not waiting for the end of your life before he writes your name. It is already written in the book of life. Philippians 4, 3, Paul says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. How does he know their names are in the book of life? Does he know their hearts? Does he know all about their lives? No, he knows God thoroughly. He knows God is a God of grace. Therefore, when you become a Christian, your name is written down. Before you're a Christian, your name is written down. You're not writing it anymore. You're not out there hoping desperately to be good enough or pretty enough or accomplished enough to have a name. You have a name. He already has it. But how did he write the name? How did he write the name? We've got to go back to the Old Testament for this. There's an amazing picture from the Old Testament. See, when Moses was on the mountain to receive instruction about building the tabernacle, God told him this, I want to show you the pattern of heaven so you can reproduce it to some degree on earth so when you see the tabernacle, you see something about heaven's patterns. That's why all the different things in the tabernacle that we read, and a lot of times we we try to read over because we don't understand it, but all those patterns are trying to show a pattern of heaven. And one of these patterns reveals this name 
point. In the tabernacle of worship, once a year, the high priest would go before the very throne of God. And on a high priest, there was an ephod, a breastplate. And, and the breastplate had precious stones on it. And guess what was written on those precious stones? Those precious stones had names on them. The names of the tribes of the people of God. Exodus 28, 21 says, There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece, this is verse 29, breastpiece of judgment on his heart. When he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So the high priest would enter in for the, the sacrifice of the sins of those, and he had the names of the people as he went into the Holy of Holies. The names are on the breastplate of the high priest. Are you a Christian today? Where is your name written? Yes, it's in the book of life, as Paul told us. If you're a Christian, your names are written over the heart of Jesus Christ, who stands before the Father as our great high priest. He has entered the Holy of Holies with your name on his chest. Not written by the blood of bulls or goats, but written in his own blood. That's how you got your name. A lot of us are out there and we're trying to write that name in our own blood, sweat, and tears. Well, let me tell you, rest in this. Jesus says, I've already done it in my blood, sweat, and tears. His name was blotted out. He experienced hell. He has cast out so our names could be written in. Rejoice not, brothers and sisters, that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You no longer have to achieve your name, just receive it from Christ. You cannot take credit for this And now Jesus rejoices in that truth himself. Verse 21 says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord in heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus is rejoicing in the sovereignty of God and salvation. That is what He is doing here. People often consider the sovereignty of God's grace to be a dark or difficult doctrine. I know that. Why does God bring some people to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ while others are left to perish their sin? Well, the Bible doesn't exactly explain it, but he does say he does everything for his glory. And we can rest in that because he's a good God. But far from treating this mystery as an occasion for anxiety, the Bible presents it as a comfort for the soul. Jesus is rejoicing in this. Does that stop us from from proclaiming the gospel? Absolutely not. We don't know any of this. That's all mystery to us. We got to proclaim. We don't know what's going on in someone's heart. We don't know what God's doing in their heart. So we proclaim. 
This is a wonderful picture. God, Thomas Goodwin gives a word picture, and, and it looks like this. Chained to Adam's belt are all men and women born after him. God in mercy removes the chains of his chosen ones from Adam and locks them into Christ. God's mercy has a name, justification. That is how you're justified. See, whenever you're trying to build your identity and you're trying to build your name, what you're trying to do is you're trying to justify yourself. And the thing is, you're not justifying yourself before God. In many ways, we are. But we're trying to justify ourselves between all these others horizontally. Man, that, that will crush you. There's a better way. God's given it to us. Romans 3, 23 and 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Salvation is all of God. Tell people how they are saved. Go and tell them how they are saved. It is all God. As you proclaim the gospel, as you proclaim the gospel, the good news, the effectual call comes, the Holy Spirit comes and changes the heart. He gives them faith and they can respond to what you're doing. That's all of him. You are born again. That's all of God. We are called to proclaim and love people. It's up to him. This is what Jesus is rejoicing in. It's all of God. So therefore, guess what, guys? We can't mess it up either. In other words, if you are in Christ, if your name's written in, you can't do anything to mess it up. You can make your life miserable on this side of heaven, but you can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. Because your salvation is not achieved, it is received. Jesus rejoices in this, and so should you. Jesus ends this this passage with a joyous benediction. Verses 23 and 24. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. See, this joyous benediction is in keeping with what Jesus already said about the secrets of salvation belonging only to God. The Father and the Son have exclusive, mutual, intimate fellowship within the triune being. Here we see the the Trinity. I know that word's not in the Bible, but we see it all over the place where there's the Father, the Son, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together, rejoicing. And that's a perfect rejoicing because there's no sin within that rejoicing. But according to the Father's gracious will, by his own sovereign choice and through the revealing work of the Holy Spirit, the Son invited his disciples and his disciples alone to share in their fellowship. To share in the fellowship. This is what we're asking people to do. As you evangelize, as you go and share the gospel, as we come together as as Christians, as believers in Christ, you're, you're inviting each other into this fellowship. This fellowship that hopefully you have with the triune God, but we're bringing them into this fellowship. There was the high privilege of knowing the Father and the Son with the Spirit. To make sure they understood what a great privilege this was, Jesus referred to all the men who desperately wanted to have this knowledge but never lived to see the day. He's like, you know, all these people in the Old Testament that we read about, they were waiting, they were anxiously waiting, they were waiting for this day to happen. Well, it's happened, and now we get to live on this side of that. So we should rejoice. Jesus was referring to the prophets and kings of the Old Testament. 
Imagine what Jeremiah would have given to see the righteous branch raised up from David. Or Isaiah to see the son conceived to the virgin. Or Micah to see the baby born in Bethlehem. With a holy jealousy, these mighty kings and faithful prophets longed to know the Christ as the disciples knew him. As you get to know him. Through his word and through his spirit and through his church, you get to know him. What a blessing it is was for the twelve to see the ancient promises fulfilled in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. What a blessing and what a joy. What a joy it is for us. Only one thing could add to this disciple story, namely our own believing response to their gospel. You want to add to their joy? Trust in the finished work of Christ. The Apostle John wrote about it. This is the passage Sam read for us. John testifies that these things he heard, gospel realities. And then he celebrated the joy he had in, in knowing God. John's joy was not yet complete, however. There was one thing he still desired, which was for us to join him by trusting in Jesus for our salvation. Join him by trusting Jesus for our salvation. John wrote, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. We are writing these things, he went on to say, so that our joy may be complete. That our joy may be complete. The joy of the apostles is complete whenever we join their fellowship with the Father and the Son through Jesus Christ. Their joy becomes our own when we come to Christ. If your spiritual life looks like a roller coaster, Jesus tells you today to lay down rejoicing in peripheral things. Stop trying to achieve a name. Receive with joy the one God has given you, child of God. Rejoice today that your names are written in heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that sometimes we need a corrective in and just getting us focused on what we truly should be rejoicing in. Lord, you loved us so much that you came and went to the cross in our place as we we're about to be reminded of when we take communion. What joy should spring from our souls that you have done this for us. Lord, help us. Our flesh loves to make a name for itself. And Lord, we just ask as we fan into flame the spirit that dwells inside of us, that you will help us to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. And Lord, if there's nobody here, to, if there's somebody here today that does not know you like this, that Lord, I pray that they would turn from trusting in themselves and trust in you. Lord, that you will cause them to have a new heart. Give them the faith to believe in you. And I beg for you to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.